Welcome back, Marsh Mad Men listeners. This is part two of the episode that just paired Nightmare on Elm Street and Silent Night, Deadly Night in a slasher showdown. We're pressing on with another two movie matchups, so thank you for joining us. I know I just filled up my podcasting fuel tank with some liquid energy for the stretch run. I got my skull mug, but uh, yeah, I did switch to Miller Lite, so not the most macho choice of all time, and I know Rich is drinking water tonight, but Vic, uh, tell me about your double-barreled quad or whatever the fuck you're drinking. Mm. It's actually not that fancy tonight, John. It's just a, uh, a new Belgium triple, an old favorite, so, yep. but yeah, it's still it's still about three times the alcohol that's in that Miller Lite, so... <laughs> You son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah. Bourbon barrel quad is, is what I was thinking of. That That's a favorite for you, right? Oh, hell yes it is. Mm-hmm. I also have a bourbon barrel quad in my refrigerator. <laughs> Rich, you're just... Continuing to torment me. Yeah. You're just eyeing a finish line, and I don't know exactly how far away it is, but uh, I know that, that, that bourbon barrel quad is going to taste mighty fine when you get there. All right, well, let's talk about a couple more movies, shall we? In the meta division, which is, of course, films that in some way deconstruct or, as outsiders, comment on, laugh about slasher films from a bit of a remove, take them apart in some way, we have the quintessential example, Scream. Wes Craven's Scream, which is the sixth seed in this regional and it's squaring off against a scrappy underdog that rich nominated the town that dreaded sundown this is the 2011 remake which comes in as an 11 seed in our tournament vic talk for like 10 eye glazing minutes about scream My eyes have already glazed. Just bringing up with, the title. With that, with that rousing introduction, uh, <laughs> listeners, pay no attention. Obviously, I'm going to be riveting when I talk about Scream. Of course. Uh, for those of you who don't know, for the two of you that don't know, uh, Scream was released in 1996. It was directed by Wes Craven. Uh, it has, I was a little surprised. It's only a 76% on Rotten Tomatoes. I sort of recall it being more of a critical darling, but it was budgeted at 15 million and it grossed 173 million. And that ladies and gentlemen is how you launch a franchise. So this is another movie that we've covered pretty well in previous podcasts. By all means, go back and listen to the Sheffies, I believe. Is that when we covered Scream guys? We covered Scream for some reason as its own podcast as i recall yeah, why I did was, we do that was, yeah <laughs> i thought it was a tale of the chevy whatever i think it's safe to say that most people know the story just so you know teenager sydney prescott and her movie obsessed friends are hunted and killed by someone in a mask that is now known as ghostface and he's bringing horror movie tropes into real life sort of so this is a movie that I think is pretty poorly regarded by horror fans at this point, as evidenced by the conversation up to now. Uh, you know, I, I follow a lot of social media uh, horror groups and stuff, and some people really like it, but there's a lot of the hardcore horror fans view this, I think, as as many of us do. 
And that's not least because the things that seemed fresh and interesting about this when it came out have now been beaten, strangled, stabbed, hung, and impaled until every drop of life has been exsanguinated from its corpse. And yet, especially in the context of this contest, I'm glad to revisit the original and appreciate it for at least one very important accomplishment. And gentlemen, I hope that you will join me in this. It kept the slasher tradition alive for another generation to discover. If you want to be in on all of Scream's jokes, well, you'd better know who Wes Craven and John Carpenter are. You'd better have seen Halloween, that's for sure. And, as I'll explain a little bit later on, it wouldn't hurt to check out Peeping Tom before you dig into this franchise. So even if you don't like the direction that Scream took the stalking and slashing of teenagers for the next decade, it still proved that there was a taste for it in theaters after the 80s had left it creatively bankrupt and confined to the direct-to-video dustbin. Without it, there's no Sorority Row, there's no Happy Death Day, there's no Freaky or Hellfest, and nothing in pop culture pointing burgeoning horror hounds toward its better, bloodier, edgier predecessors. I also maintain that, among the meta category, Scream has the best balance of humor and real horror. The opening scene is an all-timer, and on balance, Scream's resurrection of the slasher film does more for the genre than the brief detour into self-referential CW territory did damage. And if they keep making these, maybe, just maybe, one day, finally get to see David Arquette's deputy Dewey get gutted like a fish and then <laughs> it'll all be worth it. <laughs> Dewey's theme will will have a more mournful quality in that moment, I'm sure. <laughs> well said. Well that was, said. That was that was great. That was great. Matthew Lillard everyone. Matthew Lillard. <laughs> you halfway convinced me. Job. You halfway convinced <laughs> me, Vic. <laughs> Thank you. That's all. It's the best, literally the best I could have possibly done is to halfway convince you. <laughs> well, uh, as per our protocol, it is time for Rich to tell us about its opponent, which of course is the town, the dreaded sundown. 2011. 14. Oh. 2014. Really? Fuck. Fuck. <laughs> yeah. Did you, did you watch one made in 2011? That would be so It was great. It was so much better than the 2014 version. <laughs> Alternative facts, whatever. Tell us about it. <laughs> well, the town that dreaded sundown is, as far as I'm aware, a 2014 uh, slasher and definitely kind of a meta sort of sequel uh, to a film that had the exact same title um, from 1976, uh, which I, I will cop to the fact that I've never actually seen the, the original. Um, it's directed by Alfonso Gomez Rajan, and it is his feature length directorial debut. Um, and it was written by Roberto Aguirre Sacasa, and it was produced by the ever present Jason Blum and, uh, and Ryan Murphy, who I once peed next to at a urinal at the Emmys. This movie stars uh, a bunch of actors who I feel like I never really saw again um, in, in like the, the, the key roles. There was like Addison Timblin, Travis Tope. Uh, but then you get to like Spencer Tree Clark. There's Franca Cartwright, um, uh, Gary Cole. Addison Timlin was in a, a show that I really liked on Netflix that I think it 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 
came from a another network, but it had a second life recently, and unfortunately, they didn't like come back to it or renew it. But it's called Startup, and she's playing the daughter of Ron Perlman, and Adam Brody is in this show, and I mean, it's and Martin Freeman is in it, and it's it's just a like fun edgy fast-paced drama that it's i just i really liked it and she she stood out for me so i i wanted to i wanted to note that really quick that like she actually was very familiar to me weirdly enough um even though yeah most of the people in this movie um other than well i think you have a couple more names at least that you you mentioned gary cole who i love but uh, there's another big one in this cast. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. John, you interrupted Rich for that? I'm sorry. <laughs> because Addison, I'm sorry. Because Addison Tillman was in a canceled Netflix show? Dude. It wasn't even a Netflix show. It was, it was on Crackle for Christ's <laughs> yes. I mean, like. But th- this show was really good. I, I Honestly, <laughs> y'all, go out and check out Startup. It's a good show. It's also got. This actor is really compelling. Edie Ed, Gathigi. Edie Gathigi. Check you it out. That up. There is no <laughs> such fucking person as Edie Check back with me and apologize later after you watch this show. All right. Rich, take I, it away. I actually thought that Addison Timlin was Dakota Johnson for yeah. three quarters of the film. I, I was like, oh, that. this is just, oh. this must have been like an early role for her. <laughs> Um, yes, there are a few other luminaries, but I think that part of this, this film squanders its luminaries in the background. And so I want to, I want to circle back around and touch on that. First, let's talk a little bit about what this movie is about. This is a, a bag headed killer who is terrorizing the same small town where a slasher known as the phantom killer struck decades earlier. And part of the slashing is happening that's really coinciding with this anniversary where they continually show the original film from 1976, The the Town Dread Sundown. As a matter of fact, the relationship between that film and the town is really kind of the catalyst for all the events in this movie. And it's an ever-present shadow in the the distance. This movie tanked. (laughs) This movie did not do well. It grossed $120,459 in its initial release. But, you know, it got kind of like these mixed to positive re- reviews. Like, I think people sort of like praised like the, the quality of the of the film overall, just on like a, on a technical level. You know, a lot of criticisms for the, the screenplay, people calling it unoriginal, which I think is a little bizarre and uh, and poor like character development. Um, you know, as of 2019, the film has grossed over a hundred thousand dollars in video sales. I mean, this movie like did not even exist. Wow, it must um, have done well on these deals that it made with streamers or something, right? I mean, at least the fact that it's still available now would would tell us something. I hope. I mean, yeah, that those those are like borderline like straight to video numbers. Those are brutal, um, brutal numbers. Y- yeah. I, I I think maybe like I know that Ryan Murphy has all these like connections. I mean, a you have like you have, you had Blum involved, and then like yeah. Ryan Murphy has these connections with FX. Like obviously he does 
you know, Jesus, what doesn't he do on that network? He does all the, like the American horror story, of course. And then mm-hmm. like the American crime story and like pose and glee, like he's deep in the Fox pocket. So he's a huge, you know, I, I huge think... powerhouse at this point, <clears throat> as is Jason Blum. Yeah, of course. Yeah. The movie got sort of like labeled as this kind of like one critic put it a Southern fried scream that proves that a brazen lack of originality doesn't preclude inventiveness and brio. I thought that that was a uh, a pretty good like assessment of this this movie. You know, it it has a lot of shortcomings. I think it's an interesting film paired up against Scream. Other than New Nightmare, I can't think of a a film that is quite this meta where you are literally basing the material off of existing material, but then you're building like a false narrative around that source material i feel like it's a, actually a pretty like inventive concept in terms of the, these meta killer meta slashers but we have like iconic sackheads right like i know we you know this goes back to the original town that, that uh the dread sundown but you know you're talking about like from like friday part two to like the the strangers you know there's definitely a long history in this genre of these killers who just simply find a burlap sack and like stretch it over their head and you're like, I don't know how powerful I really find the the killer to be, or even for the most part, the, the kills. But I did really find the trappings of this movie to be incredibly compelling. Like, in many ways, I actually feel like they got the formula right, maybe a little better than New Nightmare did in some ways. It's certainly less fantastical, and it's more grounded in reality, which I think puts it a little more in, like, the scream mold of these killers who are very human and they just like emerge from the, from the jetsam of some sort of existing horror uh, media, which I guess is a little more in line with like scream too. But in this case, like they've replaced like a glib cleverness with this like very contagious energy. Like this movie has vibe. It is like light on its feet and it really loves being a movie. I especially found the choppy sort of stream of consciousness editing, um, really like kind of just like grabbed me and pulled me along. Like I love the way that they pass between past and present in this movie. There's a lot of cutting between the actual kills um, in the so-called present and the, and the kills that happened in the film or even like what was happening during the filming of the original film. There's a, a scene in particular where they're telling a story in the, in the present and the camera actually picks up and pushes through a window and then, and what's happening in flashback is playing outside the window um, I just feel like it has a really clever way of like navigating the terrain of like what ultimately is a not incredibly satis- always satisfying, but like a pretty like twisty and, and, and turny story in terms of like the backstory. The characters are like eh, pretty flat, flat, at least like the, the ones who are up front, you know, but I do like how this movie is really having a conversation with itself. And the themes could have gone deeper, but like I appreciate that there are themes here that take me back to like. Mm-hmm. You know, and I say this in a nice way, but like, you know, Fear Street 1978 or whatever it is that whatever year it is. Did I get it right this time? Yes. And he also has a bag. 78. Thank you. 78 and baghead. And there's there's a baghead. Yeah. But I think like there's definitely, you know, there's an undercurrent here that's about like the trappings of small town life from the perspective of these teenagers to even like the Phantom himself. And yeah, I want to point out that like the background players in this cast are really where the acting shines. I wish it had more of Anthony Anderson as, as Lone yeah. Wolf. The Sheriff, who I feel like they they totally undersold 
Gary Cole is the local sheriff, also just yes. like not getting enough screen time. Um, I love him in a lot of roles. I, I especially identify with him from uh, from Veep. Um, oh, yeah. But he gets like so little to work with in this movie. Um, and of course, this is one of the last films of Edward Herman before his death in December of 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I do think that Herman actually does, you know, again, like I don't think he gets to do a lot in this movie, but he does deliver a good version of like the, of the local zealot. He gets to walk around and sort of like shout a lot with authority, which is something that, that he does well. I haven't seen the original. I don't really feel like I need to, but I love that this movie has this like hazy relationship with past and present between like real and unreal and it's kind of, you know, an exciting ride and much like an old slasher movie that you saw as, in, as a kid. And like you start to mix those memories with what you saw versus how you experienced it watching the film. Like, I feel like this becomes a kind of immersive experience. And I actually think people missed out by not seeing this movie in the theaters. I totally agree, Rich. I really, really like this movie, but I'm going to pass the baton over to Vic first. I really like this movie. I actually knew Alfonso Gomez Rejon from uh, his work on. Oh, was it that Crackle series? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. So I actually knew director Alfonso Gomez Rejon's work from American Horror Story. He had done enough of the episodes that I sort of connected with him when I saw that he that this movie was in production. I started badgering my agent to be like, hey, I want to work with this guy. Can we can can we get him some of my scripts and stuff? I think this movie, A, is conceptually brilliant, much like uh, New Nightmare. Although, Rich, I will point out what this what this reminds me of is Blair Witch 2, the Book of Shadows. Uh, okay, yeah. I was trying to think of other films that did something similar because I, I know I have seen it, but that's a good call. All, always a that's, glorious comparison. That, <laughs> yeah, everyone wants to be everyone wants like, to be side even, by side with Book of Shadows. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, look, I don't love Blair Witch too, but even I thought when it came out, I thought, oh shit, if you're going to make a sequel to Blair Witch, like that's a pretty good take to have on. And they hired a documentary director, Joe Berlinger, to do I, which, it as well, who I love and was a brilliant choice. It just didn't work out. It just didn't work out. Yeah. This this worked out. I think that the dynamic yeah. camera style he brings to it, there are some virtuoso shots, really cool long takes, especially the opening take and a couple of ones through the uh, the drive-in and stuff. Yeah. Uh, that juxtaposes with those quick edits that Rick, Rich mentioned that gives it this feeling of like an art house slasher film. So I was so taken with this that I, I don't know if you guys have seen this, but his next film was uh, a, a an earnest Sundance drama called Me and Earl and the Dying Girl that actually won the Audience Award So uh, and the Sundance Award, actually. Um, so I recommend checking that out if you like this. But I really think what I took from that is he wasn't he wasn't answering my agent's calls because his real passion is for something different than this. He even followed that up with the current war with Benedict Cumberbatch that was about sort of the battle between Edison and Tesla. It did not do well. I think it got it got sort of buried by a couple of, of things outside of his control. So he's never really blown up as a director. I think he's exceptionally talented. I love the junkyard set. There's so there's a scene. Mm-hmm. That happens in the in the this junkyard, it's between two gay teens, and it's it's startlingly honest. 
for a movie like this. And especially for the Texarkana sort of setting and stuff, I thought it was a really bold choice from a scripting perspective, but it winds up being really horrific. I also mentioned all of the supporting performances, Anderson, uh, Edward Herman, Gary Cole has one of the best, I, I don't think this is a spoiler, Gary Cole has one of the best death scenes in a slasher film in, in a long time. But especially Dennis... For, for reasons that we uh, can't, for reasons that we can't share. <laughs> we're not going to elaborate yeah. on why, but it's a really, it's a, it, it's, when you were like, he's not given much to work with, I was like, well... <laughs> yeah, that scene. Uh, that scene alone. That scene. He had that scene. I'm sure that's the scene he read. It was like, I will be in this film. But Dennis O'Hare, who is also a veteran of American Horror Story, I think gives a a, a great performance as well. He does. I will say the the one thing that, that just kind of hurts this film is the ending. The problem is that the ending mm-hmm. reminds me of Scream. Oh my <laughs> god. Vic. Vic. <laughs> what? This is the second time that we've shared a brain. I'm like, sometimes I'm like, God, Vic, you're my nemesis. But tonight, dude, I literally put in my notes, Scream 2, for the ending of this movie. We've been we've been friends for 20 years. Yeah. It's bound to happen at some point. <laughs> and it just, it hurts so much of this film. And there's, there's, there are things that feel different from slasher films in terms of the brutality, the, the, the use of a gun. The dialogue, the way that the killer speaks is sort of different, I think, than in a lot of these. Man, that ending just takes the it takes the wind out of the sails. But everything up to that, I think, is is pretty exceptional. I like this movie. It's interesting how the movie sets up as a docudrama or the kind of real-life serial, serial killer movie that we've decided belongs in another tournament. But eventually, it does evolve into a more classical slasher film. I found it weirdly ambitious in its scope and its style. In a lot of ways, this is kind of the Zodiac, the David Fincher Zodiac uh, of slashers. Mm -hmm. It looks really good, and it brings an unpredictable, arty, indie vibe to the proceedings that few of the films that we're looking at even aspire to. Really strong lighting choices, talking about the cinematography. At times I was wondering, is, is this... Maybe Rich can weigh in on it. Is this just Texas light? I don't know what was going on with the film stock or what, but the light sources are just always popping in this movie, washing out detail with their brightness. I just thought the compositions and exposures were really striking and effective. Generally speaking, the cinematography in this movie is way above par for a slasher. I was really into it. Rich, did you did you like feel like they captured something about Texas with that, or was it just style? I mean, not as well as Texas Chainsaw Massacre Two, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, no, there's there's a certain like sweatiness that I don't know that was was on display that I definitely associate with Texas. Um, but I mean, yeah, it, there's there's a lot of like magic hour going on in this yeah. movie. Like every every room it, that they that they shoot in in this film has like paper uh uh what's the what's what is what's it called when you draw when you pull like the thing down over a a paper shade uh, Mm -hmm. over the the windows so like you have all this like diffuse light that's constantly like warming these rooms up but i i agree like it was really like beautiful and like stylized and like and full i i wouldn't say especially evoked texas for me but it, it wasn't off either good 
Good. Just checking. I wanted to know on that. Randomly, I think this might be the only movie in the tournament where the killer apparently sends an email, or at least we think he does. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> it also evoked that Art the Clown in Terrifier does take a couple of selfies, but usually uh, technology and slashers are not the best of friends. The actual concept of the title in this film is chilling to contemplate a town that lives in fear of the night. You feel safe in the daylight, but someone will be hunting you after dark. And I think that the fact that that's a real thing, New York during the Son of Sam killings, it comes immediately to mind as an example. I think this film captured that well. Veronica Cartwright's speech about how things changed overnight when these killings happened. Originally, that drives that home for me. I also wanted to mention Gary Cole. He is one of my favorite supporting actors of this century by far. He makes everything better. He just has an absurd range too. Even if his performances tend to be understated, he usually looks roughly similar in his various parts, but the intelligence or education level, cultural background, degree of danger or or edge to his character, all of those things can run the full gamut without him being any less convincing on either end of the spectrum. And that's kind of why I like Veep, as uh, Rich mentioned, because he's like a very cerebral character. But, you know, he can also play Ricky Bobby's dad with such fucking charisma in that film. I just, I love the guy. My next note was, still though, this is an ending only degrees better than Scream 2. Ironically for Rich, because I know Rich hates Scream 2, and Scream in general. It was just a lot of villainous exposition blabbing. I watched the movie again, knowing who the killer was this time. It doesn't totally work. And I also, another note that that I need to mention is the arc and function of the Anthony Anderson character is odd. There's zero payoff. He just disappears. It just makes you wonder why. Like, th- surely that was not the plan all along. I know he wasn't famous or anything at the time, but the character arrives with some fanfare. He has a, a storyline. He's The character seems emotionally involved in the case. And then, no, I, I guess he just reads about it in the paper the next day. I don't know what's going on with that, but uh, I do agree with Vic that the ending takes it down a couple of notches. But I have a real emotional reaction to this film, which is positive. And I'm glad that Rich put it in the tournament, and I think it's very underrated, and it's theoretically possible that it could have my vote tonight. Let's hash this out, like, really really quick. Obviously, Vic, tell us why we need to vote for Scream, and we'll go from there. John, I'm a little more uh, uncertain on my footing than I expected to be. Um, I, Like I said, I really like The Town that, that, that Dreaded Sundown. A, fabulous title. I know they took it from the original, but still. Yeah. Uh, I, really like the, I really like the title. It's so different tonally from Scream and it takes such a different approach to the idea of meta from Scream. And while I will say to you, yes, the ending takes it down a few notches, wouldn't you say the same thing about Scream? 
the one thing I'll say off the top of my head is that Scream's opening scene is it's a cultural touchstone. Like it's one of the it's one of the great horror scenes ever put to film. It I really agree. is. Yeah. I don't think there's any individual scene in the town that dreaded sundown that comes close to that. That would be the the essentially mm-hmm. the case that well, so that's the one case. And then the other case which I talked about in there is that again just just culturally like in terms of historical significance like Scream kept the slasher film alive. I would argue there is no town that dreaded sundown if Wes Craven doesn't make Scream. Like that's how important that movie is. Uh, I, I don't think you can overstate what that meant that Kevin Williamson and Wes Craven teamed up and created a new slasher villain, a new slasher franchise at a time when it, it just looked like there was nothing left to be done with. Just to play devil's advocate, that happened. But if that void needed to be filled, we don't know that some other filmmaker, screenwriter, you know, creative person would not have come along and maybe steered it in a different direction. But somebody was going to say, this was the biggest genre in movies, let alone horror, for a period in time. You know, it's, it can't go away forever. Let me reinvent it. Let me bring this back. So I my my philosophy isn't that, like, these were the only two, three people, however many, you know, got behind Scream. And and otherwise it never would have come back. I'm not I'm not gonna get behind that that reading because it was as this tournament has taught me, this was such a huge part of our culture that I believe someone else would have picked up the mantle and breathed new life into it. It just happened to be them. They they had the right timing, they obviously did it well, but I'm I'm not gonna get behind the theory that we wouldn't have slasher movies anymore if it wasn't for Scream. Look, I won't say that, but come on, you're talking about Wes Craven. I mean, Wes. This is, Wes Craven is coming. Wes Craven is he's coming off of uh, a new nightmare where he's already playing with the conventions of the genre. He gets handed this script, which I believe was initially Oliver Stone was attached to direct, hmm. but I think it landed in the right hands with Wes Craven. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> gotcha <laughs> it landed in the right i'm just saying john i like i'm not i'm not doubting that but i'm saying do you think there was a better person for the job than wes craven because i'm not sure that's the case now look again i don't want to get backed into a corner here okay this is these are are evenly matched films in my eyes and scream has a lot of weaknesses but a lot of the weaknesses, I think, are in retrospect, that we look at it now and, and what it did to the, the subgenre of slasher films and go, well, like, this is not the kind of slasher film that I like. But I do think that the long-term effect of it was people still want slashers. People still want this. And I, it took a, I took lightning in a bottle, John. I mean, we've, we've talked about this in the past. Mm-hmm. It took lightning in a bottle for it to to come back with such screaming ferocity at a point where, again, we're talking now 25 years later. Yeah, Jesus. Uh, You've got Scream 5, which just made a shit ton of money. Scream 6 is on the way. There were two seasons of a television show. 
and Kevin Williamson, outside of Dawson's Creek and whatever else, is still a force in television. He just sold a show uh, to Apple TV. He's got another show on TV right now. Like it's none of these people went away. Like this, the, these were all talented people who are still connecting with audiences right now. But again, I vote. But I'm not like I said. This is not me being like I can't believe you wouldn't vote for Scream. Like I am not ride or die for Scream on this. But I'm just saying it's scream is a cultural touchstone. Like it's whatever else you think of it that matters. I'll just remind you really quick that the purpose of this show has always been we're not just collecting the opinions of others and saying, well, our research indicates that this movie is more important than that movie because that no one needs us for that. The whole idea of this is that it's deeply personal. And that we hope that the listeners will say, because you guys who care so much and have seen all of these movies often so many times have said that this is better than that. We want to hear you talk about the movies that you love the most, that you want to talk about the most. It's not ever going to be strictly the overall impact of something. I'm not necessarily influencing this particular vote with those comments, but I just want to remind you that this is going to be the personal decisions of three guys that are deeply emotionally invested in this genre and have spent a lot of their time not only working on you know, this show, but their whole life looking at these movies with a deeply critical eye. I take all of that into account, but... At the end of the day, if I'd rather talk about the town that dreaded sundown more next time than Scream, I think that that's my job on this show to vote for that. I'm not totally decided on that. I think it's a tough call. But we have a precious, eternally dwindling time on Earth. And we need to be guided by that desire. What is worthy of that investment and examination? So just just throwing out that that out there in regards to, well, the world thinks this, or the world would be different that kind of an argument. John, I will I will just say, and I, I do want to hear from Rich because I feel like you and I have been have been uh, uh, bogarting the conversation here, but. <laughs> I care deeply about the the cultural history of horror. Yeah. Right? Like the conversation that I want to have is about what these movies mean, not just to me, but to the world. Like mm-hmm. there's a reason that Scream connects with people. And that's something that I care about. That's something that I want to analyze. That's something that I want to understand. Scream connected with me. Yeah, me too. I'm just saying I pay – I those things matter to me. If you tell me that Rosemary's baby is a significant film in the history of horror and it made all this money and, and sparked outcry and conversations and people were protesting it and, and all this kind of stuff that I want to know that I want to, I want to see it. I want to understand it. And I want to look into those things. Those are, those are things that I'm passionate about personally. And so I'm not discounting those, those passions when I'm talking about, when we're talking about this and when I'm voting. So suck it. 
<laughs> I mean, it's time I for Rich. I don't, I don't. I don't disagree with you, Vic. But Rich, I, stop monopolizing the conversation, okay? But I, I just, I do just want to point out, like the the way that you're quoting its cultural significance. Well, while not to be fully dismissed, like I would also say that I gravitated towards Nightmare on Elm Street because of what Nightmare on Elm Street that first entry is. If I were judging based on the sequels and what happened to follow that thing. I would not have voted for Nightmare on Elm Street. I would have gone the opposite direction because of the way that it tanked the genre, regardless of how well it continued to rake in, you know, modest amounts of cash with each entry that came out every few years. So, like, I hear what you're saying. Like, the, the historical significance is is somewhat important. I guess it's just more like, what does this film really mean to to horror culture like on its own merits i, I don't know like i i guess i i'm a little more in like john's camp here i think what you're saying is interesting i just don't know that it amounts to what is the greatest slasher film of all time sure. well rich you you can suck it too then <laughs> <laughs> the line starts here <laughs> all right so i can assume that vic is voting for scream and I don't, I, assume, don't assume anything, John. You make an ass out of you and me when you do that. I've heard that somewhere. All right, Vic, who are you voting for? <laughs> I'm voting for the town that dreaded sundown. What? Oh. oh my god! Oh my god! All right. Um, we almost don't have to continue because Scream ain't getting two votes out of Rich and I. <laughs> Holy shit! Uh, Rich, for the sake of argument, are you going to vote for Scream? No, I hate Scream. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Like I, I st- well, that, that, that's, that's not fair. I don't hate Scream. I do not like Scream. Um, <laughs> yeah. There's, 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 a, there's a distinction. Because I think that everything you're saying, everything that you had to say about it, Vic, is, is right. I think that it was doing a lot of things that don't feel as novel now because of the way that time is, has changed our perception of it, right? ultimately like sure like at the time it's indelible and yes i think that there are still scenes in it certainly the opening scene that are still very effective totally agree it's just it's just that i dislike uh, all the characters and i find it's like it's it's whodunit drama to be tedious and painful to watch and um and then i don't ever want to see it again that's kind of where <laughs> i'm at yeah yeah I mean, we did a whole show on it. Go listen to that episode if you want to hear us talk about Scream. I I don't think Rich talked about it, but I didn't particularly enjoy the last watch. So I'm thankful that we're going this direction. I, too, would vote for The Town That Dreaded Sundown because I I think we'll have some good conversations about it moving forward. So I'm, I'm actually surprised, very surprised, that we reached this outcome. But uh, I'm not unhappy about it at all. So, yeah, moving forward. I mean, because part of this is this show partially is designed to, I hope, encourage people to look at movies that they may not have seen or engaged with as rigorously as they could have. And I think if we direct people to watch that film, The Town That Dreaded Sundown, 
2014. Is that it? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I yeah, 2014. Okay, 2014. Um, sorry about that. But yeah, I mean, I think that that has somehow more value in the world than uh, filleting Wes Craven and Kevin Williamson anymore. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> which, which is ironic because there's so much filleting in the town that drove at sundown. <laughs> yeah. Oh, back to Gary Cole. Uh, spoiler. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We just said we weren't going to talk about that. Uh, well, we can always cut that out, but it was pretty funny. All right. Okay. On to the next That's matchup. Too funny to cut. Yes. 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 Boy, I think. I don't. I don't think that's a spoiler. Okay. Oh, 